This is the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. people said? Amen. Amen. Well, if you would just go ahead and grab your Bibles, you will need them unless you happen to have the book of Philippians memorized. You probably want to just have your Bibles open. We'll be looking at chapter 1 here in just, uh, just a few moments. Uh, today is part 3 of our series that we've entitled, Bless This Mess. And to get us pointed in the right direction, let me give you a pretend scenario. Let's say that there's a young lady in this church and she's a really good young lady. She loves Jesus and is trying to do what is right. A friend of hers sets her up with a young man for a date. She doesn't know him, but she's willing to go out with him one time. The evening arrives for the date. 
He picks her up. They go to a nice restaurant away from here. They go in, get a table, look at the menu, place their order. While they're waiting on their food just to get to know him a little bit better, she tries to make some small talk. And so she casually calls him by name and and asks him a little bit about himself and, and just says, you know, what, what are your plans? What are your goals for life? Well, in response to that question, he puts down the warm piece of appetizer bread that he had lathered with a generous amount of butter. And he kind of shifts his weight in his chair and then he sits up straight. And to the young lady's surprise, he answers, well, I actually have three goals in life. To which the young lady thinks, wow, that's a first for a guy. Finally, a young man that has some goals and is thinking ahead. But he says, my first goal in life is to not lose my current job. Now, the young lady doesn't say anything out loud, but in her mind, she thinks, well, I wasn't quite expecting that for a life goal. It it seems kind of simplistic and not too forward-looking, but I guess it's okay. He continues on and says, my second goal is to not get another DUI. Now, that one stuns her a little bit. Uh, She begins to have some doubts about this guy and wonders how many DUIs he's actually gotten. But then the third goal takes the smile completely off of her face. And it's her her turn to to, to shift her weight in the chair, and and she maybe, maybe even pushes the chair back from the table a little bit. He says, my third goal is to not get another girl pregnant. Well, as you can imagine, when he said that, it was like a cool north wind blew in that was full of sleet and snow. Now, let's take this illustration, change it a little bit, make it a little bit worse. And by the way, I'm going someplace with this, so hang with me. Let's change the age of the young lady. We'll put her at, let's just say, 16 years. She still lives at home with her parents. And And we will put the age of this young man, a couple of years older, we'll say he's 18 years old. But anyway, this 18-year-old young man shows up at her house to pick her up on a first date. The dad answers the door. The young man says, I'm here to pick up your daughter. Um, The the dad says, sure, sure, come on in. And and my my daughter always runs late. and, And so have a seat while she's finishing getting ready and maybe offers him a bottle of water. While they're waiting to reduce the awkwardness, the dad says to this young man, and some of you know where I'm going, don't you? You've already beaten me to the finish line. But the dad says, young man, tell me about yourself. Do you have any goals for life? And the young man says, I sure do. I have three goals. My my first goal is to not lose my current job. And the dad says, oh, that's good. Where, Where do you work? And there's a little bit of conversation about his job. And then the young man says, my second goal is not to get another DUI. Now, this this goal causes the dad to be concerned. Not to get another DUI? Hmm. And the dad's mind is racing, as you can imagine. He's trying to think through what his response should be. Should he go ahead and ask the young man to leave the house immediately or give him time to get his jacket on? But then the young man said, and sir, here's my third goal. And you remember that one, don't you? Can, can you imagine how awkward that moment must have been? And what would have been your response, Dad? What would have been my 
response. So basically, if you were listening, the young man had goals that were all geared towards not doing wrong anymore. It was behavior control. It was, it was behavior modification. My goal is to not do wrong at work so I don't get fired. My goal is to not get arrested again with another DUI. My goal is to not mess up and get another girl pregnant. His goals were not focused on making a difference in his family or serving in his church or, or helping make the community a better place. They were goals of just trying to not get in trouble again. Now, I want you to take this illustration and, and hold it in the part of your brain that allows you to still focus on the rest of our lesson without forgetting this story. And, and, and before we get into our lesson for those of you that are joining us, as I said, today is the third lesson in our series, Bless This Mess, and we'll probably have one more lesson before we jump into another topic. And in this series, we've been talking about the fact that we're all messes. And, and remember what I called every one of us? I called us hot messes. Uh, and one of your assignments was when you saw someone who had made a mess out of things, maybe a financial mess, they'd overspent and undersaved. Or they had made a mess out of their marriage or, or their moral life or, or even just had a mess in their front yard. You know, the old couch and refrigerator thing that we have here in Cedar County. When, when, when you saw that, your assignment was to quietly whisper under your breath, I know a mess when I see one because I am one. Or the street version, remember that, it takes one to know one. Because every single one of us, at some point in our lives, we've been a mess. We've messed up our finances. We've messed up our health. We've messed up a relationship, or we've messed up a marriage or two. We've messed up in parenting. We've messed up with the law and gotten a speeding ticket. We've messed up a car in a fender bender. And so before we were too critical of those people in a current mess, I said, we need to take Jesus' advice. And remember this phrase that I said, we need to yank the plank. We need to pull the log out of our own eye. Instead of criticizing other people for their messes, remember we've been guilty of making plenty of messes ourselves. Okay, as we move into our lesson today, and we're going to connect the dots as we go along. But I want to discuss a practice in our belief system that has created a distorted version of Christianity. And to launch us into our discussion, let me read a scripture that I read last week, but it gives a concise summary of our lesson. So if you fall asleep, here's a lesson, the lesson in a nutshell. John chapter 3.17. Now we all know what John 3.16 says, but the following verse is equally as powerful. And it says this, for God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. So in this verse, we see the reason that God sent his son Jesus into the world. He didn't, didn't send Jesus into the world to condemn messy and sinful people like us. Jesus came into the world to save us. Jesus came to lead us out of our messes because he loves us too much to let us continue in our sin. But the version of Christianity that we have created in our culture today is that we have come to believe that it's okay to continue in our messes. We've come to believe that it's okay to continue in our life of sin. 
We've come to believe that it's okay to continue in our addictions. And when we say, oh yeah, I, I sin, but who doesn't? We all do. We add then, plus God is such a loving God, and, and because of his death on the cross, all we have to do is come to him and he will forgive us. And there is truth there. Thank God that whoever comes to him, whoever repents of their sin, they will be forgiven. Amen? Boy, you guys are weak this morning. But following Jesus, and, and this is what I want to get across. Following Jesus should not. Let me start that over again because some of you were texting. Following Jesus should not be a series of, well, yeah, I sin, but then every night before I go to bed, I get forgiveness for that sin, and then the next day, oh, yeah, I sin that same sin again, but he loves me so much that he will keep forgiving me for that sin as many times as I ask him. Now, when we have come to believe that, then we have basically dumbed down Christianity, because at the end of the day, we've never had a heart change. We've never had a life change. And, and listen, when we do that, that's not Christianity. That's not following Jesus. You know, we, we seem to be living in an age of, of transparency and, of course, the Me Too movement and, and all of those things. And so I, I think that we have needed some transparency because we've hidden a lot of stuff. But you go to conferences and and other places, and here people get up and give their testimony. And, and here's what you hear a lot of times. It's almost that they're bragging how much they struggle with sin. But then they add. And then the conference, the people go crazy. They add, well, God is such a forgiving God. He's always merciful. And he always covers our sins with his forgiveness. And, and everybody cheers and applauds. And, and they say, yay, God. And God does forgive. But when we presume upon him for the forgiveness of those sins that we're not turning from, that is not following Jesus. Pardon me, but that's country music. Now, this is not a knock on country music, and I love country music as long as I don't have to listen to it. <laughs> You know what, look, look, this is off script, but uh, that always makes my wife nervous. She's on her way back. She, she went to, uh, to Michigan. Her dad had surgery this past week. She got snowed in, that massive snowstorm. And, and uh, so it always makes her nervous. And she did text me during the early service. She said, you looked cute. And I could hardly concentrate the rest of the time. But <laughs> anyway, she's, she's watching right now, I guess. Hopefully she's being careful. Uh, but anyway, she gets really nervous whenever I go off script. But, um, you know, when it, when it comes to country music, I feel, I feel like I've been punished. <laughs> you know, we're, we're, in a, uh, we're in a building program here, whether you know it or not. And, and it, it hasn't been that long, but it seems like it's been 10 years because, um, and, and I don't think it's the Miller Bunch. If it is, why, uh, you talk to them about it, okay? But I think it's some of the subs that are working outside right by my office window. And what they've got this, they've got this big industrial boombox and they listen to country music all day long and it's like lord what did i do to deserve this punishment 
And so today, I was, or this past week, it was so bad, I went to Jim's office. I said, Jim, neither one of us likes country music. And here we are being subjected to this torture. <laughs> um, but anyway, uh, isn't it true that in, in country music, there's often a religious thread? In fact, there are only two types of music where you hear about Jesus. One is church music. The other is country music. And in country music, where there's a Jesus thread, the theme is generally, well, I've messed up, but God's going to forgive me. And then the next album comes out, and they made the same mess again, and God keeps forgiving them, and their dog keeps loving them, and they keep driving the same old pickup. (laughs) And, uh, you know, this past week, it just got to me, and so I I took a little bit of time to look up the lyrics to some country music that had a Jesus thread in it. I thought I'd just share it so you could be blessed. Welcome to the Church of God Holiness, folks. <laughs> Bless the heart of whoever wrote this and sang it. Um, said, we need a second coming worse than bad. Some long-haired hippie prophet preaching from the book of Johnny Cash. A sheep among the wolves, they're standing tall. We need a country music Jesus to come and save us all. There'll be fire on a mountain. There'll be revival and banging drums. They'll be screaming and they'll be shouting. When my country music Jesus comes. Isn't that sweet? Here's another one. This is really a song, okay? If I could have a beer with Jesus, heaven knows I'd sip it nice and slow. I'd try to pick a place that ain't too crowded or gladly go wherever he wants to go. Or one more. Even though I hate to admit it, sometimes I smoke cigarettes. The Christian folks say I should quit it. I just smile and say, God bless, because I heard Jesus, he drank wine, and I bet we'd get along just fine. He could calm a storm and heal the blind, and I bet he'd understand a heart like mine. Doesn't that just bless you? (laughs) That's country music. And, you know, I I know there there are probably plenty of good songs in country music. I haven't heard any, but I'm sure there are some. um, And don't... Don't send me hate mail, okay? If you do need to call me, my cell phone is 1-800-WHO-CARES, so you can go ahead and call me, call that number this week. But, but, but following Jesus, it's not about messing up and getting forgiveness and messing up the same way again and getting forgiveness over and over and over again. You know, that version of Christianity is what has prompted people outside of the church to say, I don't get it. You Christians, you Christians live the very same way I do. You do all the same bad stuff I do. The only difference I see is that, number one, you waste an hour of your Sunday morning when I sleep in. And number two, you feel guilty for what you do, and I don't. Besides that, there's no difference. But seriously, do you think that version of Christianity of mess up, get forgiveness, mess up the same way, get forgiveness over and over and over without seeing any changes, do you think that's what God really intended for us? No, he he has something way, way, way better than that. And our lesson today hopefully will help give us a much bigger and broader view of what God has intended for us. Now today, as we did last week, we will let the Apostle Paul walk us through this lesson. He started out as Saul, had his Damascus Road experience, became Paul, and then became the Apostle Paul. He became a Christian just a few years after the resurrection. 
He began planting churches all around the Mediterranean Rim, and, and one of the churches he planted became the very first church in Europe. It was in the city of Philipp, Philippi, which uh, was in Greece. After he started the, the church there in Greece, he went on to other places to start other churches. But about 10 years later, Paul writes a letter to the church at Philippi. Now, we think, actually, and scholars believe that he wrote more than one letter to them, but Oh, we only have one letter that's been preserved for these 2,000 years. And this letter became part of the New Testament. We call it the book of Philippians. It's really just a letter that the Apostle Paul wrote to these Christians who lived in this Greek city in the first century. And, and in this letter, Paul presents a much, much superior approach to Christianity than what many people are experiencing. Now, when he wrote this letter, he was in prison in Rome and Nero was the emperor. So if you're a Christian in Rome, Nero is the emperor. This is not going to end well for you. And it did not. But here is what Paul wrote to these Christians living in Europe. Philippians chapter 1 verse 3 reads like this. I thank my God every time I remember you. Now remember he hasn't seen them in about 10 years. I thank my God every time I remember you. Verse 4, in all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy. And why does he have joy when he thinks of them and prays for them? Because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Now, let me just stop and, and, and say a few things here. When, when I read these verses, I, I feel I could echo what the Apostle Paul said. He said, I thank my God. I thank my God. And and I can say this, I am so extraordinarily grateful for your partnership with me in the gospel. Now, down through the years, God has blessed this church. Um, and I believe there are several reasons. One is just God's mercy, God's favor upon this church for many years, over 100 years. But another reason that I believe God has blessed this church is because the strong leadership of of previous pastors, of, of which we're privileged to have two of them in our church. They come to the early, uh, early service, and, and, and Pastor Ken Smith, who was a uh, pastor here for 16 years, and I honor him. I thank God for him. And, and then Pastor Richard Beckham, who actually was instrumental in, in, in building our other church that we've just been converting into the Family Life Center. But I, I thank God for Pastor Ken and Pastor Richard, and they helped provide a good, solid foundation that we could build on. But, but another reason that this church has experienced so many blessings is because of your partnership. Your partnership in ministry. And I don't know if you've ever looked around on a Sunday morning and all of the people scurrying around in the name of Jesus, just quietly behind the scenes serving. Some are handing out bulletins. Some are making coffee or picking up the dozens of donuts that you inhale every Sunday morning. <laughs> and that always cracks me up. We've had people come in. They don't even come to this church. They'll get six or eight donuts and walk out and never show up. They, they know we got donuts here. We're not going to prosecute for stealing donuts. Um, that's a pretty important ministry according to the way you act out there. Uh, some of you are at the welcome counter with a warm smile. Some of uh, are at the kids' check-in area. You know, we take security of our kids very seriously here. And so 
Just for those of you that don't know, whenever kids get checked in, well, they've got to get a sticker and parents get a sticker that has to match whenever they get the kids. So checking in kids and then getting back to their, them back to their parents uh, safely. And some of you are working in the sound booth. Some of you are involved in playing music or singing. Some of you are teaching Sunday school. Some of you are in the bookstore and in the coffee shop making lattes. And some are helping during the offering time. And so I thank my God every time I remember you because of your partnership with me in the gospel. And maybe next Sunday, this is just a thought. I think it's a good thought. Before you come to church, you ought to maybe just go to the bank, get a bunch of $5 and $10 and $20 bills and just stuff them in your pocket. And as you walk in and you see some of these people quietly serving, maybe you ought to just pull out a 10 or a 20 and just tip them. Never thought of that, did you? It's just a thought. I think it's a good thought. Because we're blessed with amazing people that get it. These are people who did not dumb Christianity down to just trying to do better and, you know, don't, don't lose your job and don't get another DUI. And yeah, you know, we all mess up and sin a lot, but we all get forgiveness and mess up and sin again the same way and get forgiveness for, for it over and over and over. And we have a lot of people here who get it. They have not dumbed Christianity down to that level. Now, I'm not saying that we're perfect here. There are stumbles. There are those times when we all have to ask forgiveness, including your pastor. But many of you who partner with me in spreading the gospel, you get it. You understand. Yeah, you do. You understand the compelling aspect of living a Christian life that goes way beyond I'm always struggling with sin and I'm always in another mess of sin and I'm always addicted to something, but no big deal. I'll just pray a quick prayer and get forgiveness. No worries. I thank God that many of you that are partnering with me in the gospel, you understand. You understand. John chapter 10, verse 10 says, I have come that they may have life and that they may have it more abundantly. You don't just struggle along. You have life. You have it to the full. You also understand Romans 8, 37. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. So I echo what Paul says. I thank God for your partnering with me in the spread of the gospel. Well, Paul continues on in, in verse 6. He says, being confident of this. So Paul is confident of what? That he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Now, we talked last week that when we, when we get into a mess, we typically say, well, God fix it. But instead, God says, follow me. Oh, but God fix it. No, son. No, no, daughter. Follow me. And follow me is so much more than just get me out of this mess. You know, it's so much more just, than just an event. And we talked about this last week, you know. I got saved out of my mess. I got baptized. Those are events. You need to get saved and you need to get baptized. But following Jesus is a lifelong journey. Again, it's more than behavior modification. It's, it's more than just stay out of trouble so you don't lose your job. It's 
more than just try not to get a DUI or just try to stay morally pure. And those are good things. You don't need to get a DUI. You, you need to stay morally pure. And it's always good when you can keep a job. But the essence of Christian life is, is God renewing our hearts and, and God renewing our, our minds. Whereas the scripture says that all things pass away. And you know what happens? Our behavior becomes new. That's following Jesus. And Paul was saying that when you decided to follow Jesus, this good work was started, but it will not be completed until the day of Jesus Christ. It's a lifelong journey. So, if your whole approach, and some of you need to listen to this, if your whole approach to Christianity is, I need to stop, you know, I need to stop looking at pornography, I need to stop smoking, I need to stop drinking so I don't get another DUI, I need to stop. Or if your approach to Christianity is, well, I need to start. You know, I need to start reading my Bible and I need to start praying more and I need to start paying my tithe. If you have reduced Christianity down to, I need to stop or I need to start, your version of Christianity doesn't come from the Bible. Well, Paul continues on. He says, I I want to pray for you. And I want you to notice how different his prayers from our prayers. His prayer was not a prayer for the Philippian people to start something or stop something. It was not a prayer for them to stay out of trouble, to not lose their jobs. And it wasn't a prayer for them to be blessed financially. His prayer was not the shallow prayers that we typically pray. Here is Paul's prayer for the church, verse 9. And this is my prayer. That your love may abound more and more in knowledge and depth of insight. You say, Joe, I don't even know what that means. Well, this is really at the epicenter of what God wants to do in us. And this will make better sense as we finish his prayer. So he prays that our love will increase in knowledge and depth of insight. Why does he want that to increase? Verse 10, so that you may be able to discern what is best and may be pure and blameless until the day of Christ. So Paul wants our love to increase in depth so that in our actions and in our interactions with each other, we would be pure and blameless which would then result in, verse 11, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. So, what does all of that mean? Well, the the essence of Christian maturity, or as Paul calls it, the, the fruit of righteousness, and listen, is not our invisible love for our invisible God. Let me try to explain it this way. A lot of times we say, oh, I just love God so much. I just love Jesus so much. That's nice. And without sounding too unspiritual, may I just say, so what? Well, but I do love Jesus so much. So what? Do you know the measuring stick of how much you love God? It's not saying how much you love God. Your testimonies, those times that you stand up and say, oh, I love God so much, that's not impressive to anyone, even God. Do you know the measuring stick for how much you love God? Some of you are not going to like this. 
But we find this in John chapter 13, verse 34. It says, a new command I give you, love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. And here it is, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. The measuring stick for how much you love God is how much you love people. The measuring stick for how much you love God is how much you are loving that mess of a person that's hard to love. It's how much you love that person that hurts your feelings. It's how much you love that meth addict. It's how much you love that well-to-do person that you don't like. So again, I'm never impressed by someone that stands up and talks about how much they love Jesus if they are not loving people. Paul prayed that we would learn to love and that we would be pure and blameless, not only the way we serve God, but also in the way that we treat and serve people. So, question. Have you ever prayed that? Have you ever prayed, God, help me to grow in the depth of my love to where my actions towards God and my interactions towards others is blameless and pure and has the fruit of righteousness? And I hope you noticed, this is not just a prayer of God, help me to keep my current job, help me to not get another DUI, you know, help me to be a good boy morally, help me to follow the rules. That was the Old Testament system. And by the way, that has come and gone. Jesus has raised the bar. And he says, here's how you'll know how you're doing with God. It's how you treat one another. Again, the sign of, of spiritual maturity isn't your prayer life. And you need to pray. But that's not the sign. It's not how many times you've read the Bible through and you need to read the Bible. It's not how many conferences you go to. It isn't how you cry and say, oh, I love Jesus so much. It is how well you treat other people. And this is not salvation by works. That's not what I'm teaching. But it is salvation that works. Our relationship with God should change our lives to where we begin to treat people in a way that makes it obvious that God has completely transformed us and we love Him and we love people. And this concept was so offensive to the Jewish people in the first century. And you can read about this in Matthew chapter 5, but I'm going to just kind of summarize it. One day, uh, Jesus said, if you're on your way to the temple and you've got a sheep or a dove or a grain offering to sacrifice to God because you messed up, you've sinned, and, and so you're taking that to the temple to present to the priest so you can get forgiveness of your sin. That's the way they did it in the Old Testament. Well, as you get to the temple... Let's say that the line is long because other people have also messed up. They've sinned. So they're waiting their turn in the hot sun. They're in the Middle East to talk to the priest so they can give him their offering. He can make a sacrifice for them and they can find peace and forgiveness. Well, you wait there in the hot sun, the long line, Middle Eastern sun that's hotter than anything we can ever imagine. And you've been waiting there for two, three hours, and, and finally you're getting up close to the priest. You begin to see him, and it's just a couple more people ahead of you. And 
And Jesus says, if all of a sudden it dawns on you that you've had a disagreement with someone or there's tension with a friend or relative, Jesus said this, you need to leave your sacrifice there. So if you've got a sheep, you need to tie up your sheep. Leave it there. If you've got a, a, a pigeon in a cage, set down your pigeon cage. If you've got a grain offering, put it down. And Jesus said, you need to leave your sacrifice there. You need to get out of line, even though you've waited hours in the hot sun. And you need to go make things right with the other person, that other person, before you make your sacrifice to God. And when Jesus said this, everybody listening just gasped. They oh, what? Jesus? Are you saying that we need to put other people ahead of God? And Jesus would say, oh, no, not at all. But how you treat people is an indicator of how much you truly love your Father in heaven. One of the signs of spiritual immaturity is, is the people cannot get past a hurt that someone has inflicted on them. And, and you've seen this, and, and hopefully you, none of you have done this, but you've seen it all the time where two people aren't talking to each other. They walk by, one turns this way, the other one turns this way. Whenever that happens, that is a sign of spiritual immaturity. On the other hand, one of the signs of spiritual maturity is that you can move beyond seeing what they did to hurt you and, and you can see them through the eyes of your heavenly father and love them and serve them. So as we wrap this up, let me ask you a question. Isn't it true that we rarely, you rarely make a mess by serving other people? But isn't it true that when you're focused on yourself, you have the potential to make a big mess? And so God is trying to complete what he started in you, and he wants you to move you beyond you. Can I just say it this way? God wants you to get over yourself. So as we wrap things up, here's what I want to suggest. Change some things in your prayer. Sure, you can continue to pray to find your car keys and pray that you'll get a good parking spot at Walmart. Pray that you'll harvest a big buck. Didn't work for me this year. Pray that you will have a good hair day. That never works for me. You know, you can keep on praying your silly prayers of, you know, God help it to not snow. That's a silly prayer. Good prayers, God help it to snow. You can keep on praying, you know, help the chiefs win. If you think that'll help, do whatever needs to be done there. Go make a sacrifice if you need to. We pray a lot of silly and shallow prayers. But would you consider adding the following prayer to your prayer? And I've included this prayer in your bulletin. If you want to go ahead and take that out, it looks like this. And I want us all to pray this prayer together now. And then would you put this in your Bible and during your time of devotion, you know, after you've prayed for your cat and your dog and all of the stuff that we pray for, 
would you just pray this prayer? Would you do this for the next week or month, year? And so I want to ask you to stand. And this right here is going to be our dismissal prayer. And I pray that the Holy Spirit will just settle in upon us as we all pray this prayer together on the count of three. One, two, three. Heavenly Father, I pray that my love for others will overflow more and more and that I will keep on growing in my knowledge and understanding. For I want to understand what really matters so that I may live a pure and blameless life until Christ returns. May I always be filled with the fruit of salvation, those good things that are produced in my life by Jesus Christ, for this will bring much glory and praise to God and all the people said, Amen. You're dismissed. You've been listening to the Sunday morning message broadcast from Church of God Holiness in El Dorado Springs. Our messages are archived at www.eldochurch.com or to order compact discs or DVD videos of the messages, call the church at 417-876-2200. Thank you for listening.